episode one, we heard the story of Dave Sturmer and Peter Bradford and their dramatic reunion after 40 years. But what happened to Dave in those 40 years? Let's pick up the story from the hospital in Vietnam as Dave recovers from injuries caused by the second mine incident. So then it was back in hospital. I had exactly the same doctor who treated me the first time round, young young bloke, and uh, he said, Corporal Sturmer, it's time for you to go home. <laughs> You're not doing a good job here, you know, so we'll get you out of here. So I think you've had enough. I remember them flying us into Butterworth. We went back to Butterworth. Butterworth is the RAAF base in Penang, Malaysia. And they constantly monitor our burns and so forth and our injuries. So from Butterworth, it was a beautiful place. What a magic place it was. But you knew you were on your way home. And then we went from there to Darwin, from Darwin to, to Richmond, where they kept us in hospitals at Richmond. RAAF base Richmond is 50 kilometres northwest of Sydney. And because Richmond is like a, a curve, they would taxi so the media couldn't see how many casualties were coming in. So they unloaded the plane straight onto the hospital. And that's where, you know, uh, the very next day, mum and my family sort of turned up and there was just the realisation I was home. So with that, I was reassigned to Victoria Barracks at the engineer wing there, the drafting wing. Victoria Barracks is in Paddington, Sydney. My job then was just purely make cups of tea and morning tea, afternoon tea, uh, to which I think I just, every lunch hour, I went across the pub across the road and put as much alcohol down my throat as I could get and went back and no one seemed to say anything. So that was that was my job lot until, yes, I was discharged uh, March, I think it was, March, May. That would be 1970? Yeah, yeah. I had, you know, heaps of money that had been paid out to me. I just went on drinking sprees and eating sprees, put on tonnes of weight. And, you know, it was... I completely went off the rails, uh, like so many of them have. And then I met my future wife, who was a Kiwi. We went back to New Zealand, got married, had two beautiful children. What I'd done was I'd found a job in advertising as an art director. And really, I probably should have been painting, but I drew storyboards for, for commercials. And I worked on the campaign, you know, uh, for Muldoon, putting Muldoon into People power. People have decided to meet cool. Robert Muldoon in their thousands. So I think uh, New Zealand needs a strong leader, but um, not stupidly strong, and certainly not dictatorial. And I met him quite a few times, of, you know, having him tell him to wear makeup and speak better and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> that was good fun. Uh, and being successful on that campaign was, was good. I was, I was doing a lot of drawing, but at the same token, I'd, I'd sort of withdrawn and didn't understand why, but I became very much the family man who just wanted to be nothing else but just a good bloke, you know. And then I ran into a few blokes that I had known in Vietnam who were over in New Zealand at the time, and for whatever reason, that triggered a whole lot of things, and it triggered a, a side of me that wasn't a very nice side. I wanted to start fighting people. I drank way too much. I was became more invincible, and I wasn't a nice person. So I've got to be really honest. I wasn't, and I've got to give credit to my, my then wife, who neither of us understood why. And life just became a big party to me, you know. So that would have been seven years after our marriage, and it just you know, a lot of people go, "It's seven year rich," you know, Dave. You, you know, this is what happens. Well, it doesn't. It's just. Things were coming out that I didn't, you know, I didn't care what happened to me. And I became very bulletproof. I became loud, obnoxious, anything you want to call it, you know. 
But really what was happening to me was all the things from Vietnam were, were coming out. You know, you couldn't kill me there, you're not going to kill me here. And that was the way wrong thing, place to go, you know, down the track. So it, it was inevitable that things were going to go wrong. So the marriage failed. I came back to Australia, went to Adelaide, worked in advertising in Adelaide. Uh, my life just got messier. And I managed so easily to getting into more and more trouble. The alcohol, the marijuana, the, anything I could get my hands on. And I, I tried, I must admit, I tried a couple of times to sort of OD on tablets, but I guess I really didn't have the guts to go through with all of it, you know, the full distance. So with that, I left Adelaide, came back to Sydney, uh, worked in advertising in Sydney, and I started to calm down a bit. I still had no idea why I was doing the things I was doing. And then I met my now wife. She seemed to have sort of the patience to sort of try and push me in a, in a direction. And still I didn't know. So it was advertising was substituting for my art. And it wasn't until I started to... I was working for myself. I'd, I'd left the industry and, and working in my own business. I was down here at Taramara. I really thought everything was going to go really well, but it didn't. It sort of it started to go downhill. So I saw my uh, doctor saying, look, I know there's something really wrong here. I need to sort it. Because even now my, my wife is, is starting to trig. There's something very wrong. But I was certainly still on a self-destruct course. And I don't know what it was, but I, um, my doctor pointed me in the right direction. Dave starts seeing the same psychologist he still sees today. He's a straight shooter, giving me the tools to manage my PTSD. So um, he managed to sort of get it out, uh, the whole thing. And, and with that, I started to paint. Why? I don't know. What it led me to is I started, I wanted to paint scenes from Vietnam. I wanted to tell my story through my art. My art emerged and I started then to see a clearer picture of what it was. Since I've started to sort of put Vietnam over my shoulder, I suddenly realised I want to be able to help diggers of today. Because I think in a lot of ways, diggers of today are their own worst enemy. They won't admit there's something wrong. Getting them to speak up or talk to them in confidence or, or get anyone to listen is a big, big thing. If you talk to a digger for five minutes on Anzac Day, all of a sudden your life won't be so bad after all. Some of the things that these guys go through, it goes a long way into sort of someone cares. The point I'm making is making people aware is a really big thing. My real breakthrough came through from the tour I see of my troop, George Hulse, great bloke, said to me, Dave, he said, Dave, look, I want you to paint one of the Afghan war dogs who uh, were killed in, in Afghanistan. I said, yeah, yeah, and that was Herbie. And then I did a good job of it and sent it back to him. And, and he said, OK, well, there's another six dogs to go with the painting. You've got to do this really big painting. And I don't think anyone realised just how big it was because I wanted to do them life-size. With that, I ended up painting the, the rest and the, the, the idea of the painting was to to raise enough money to have medals for the dogs and it's a, a couple who are now living in England uh, bought the painting which gave George and his association enough money to then uh, cast the medals and do all the things and, and then award them to the dogs uh, Marichidor then said yes we want to put it up so Marichidor RSL proper, the club have it up in their foyer 
and it's a huge painting, touchscreen beside it, which you, you press a dog and it tells you the story of the dog. So that is done, I just sort of decided to get a lot more into what I really wanted to do. And I became prolific in my, my paintings. I became prolific in the fact I wanted to do stuff. So I decided to paint my troop that I was work with. So I, as many of them I knew, I got photos of them and uh, painted them for when they were early, at an early age, of maybe 2021, 20, somewhere in that area. Uh, so I managed to get 15 of them painted. And I think you may have seen that up at the hall recently at the art exhibition, Art Text. So I'd seen Ben Quilty's work uh, and, and I saw him do a public talk. I went in and made sure I met him. It was like going to a, a sale. You know, you've got to push your way through to shake his hand, you know. So I wanted to show all these guys that as much as Ben Quilty does his thing and, and with the paintings he did about depression, I wanted to make PTSD and he was quite vocal about it. I wanted to do the same thing. Well, I started entering various exhibitions and so forth and... And people showed an interest in my work, so that's it's encouraging, encouraged. So you're at the Archibald Prize three times? Yeah, three, three times, times, yeah. For his Archibald Prize entries, Dave paints people he has admired, including much-loved World War II veteran Stan Polson. Stan Polson, so I enjoyed painting Stan. Stan was a great guy. You know, and I often have a beer with him on Friday nights. So. Uh, and all that led into uh, the Hornsby sub-branch wanting to do what they called Artex. And uh, I said, look, I've got a friend, Peter Bradford. He, he was a helicopter pilot that picked me up when I was last injured. Why don't you get him to open it up? It's If we're going to talk about Vietnam, who, who better than to do a speech on Vietnam? Peter wrote a remarkable speech. And I didn't really quite realise where he was going with it until the, the very end where he said, and this person's in the room. And I was, I was a standing at the back. I heard that speech and it provided the inspiration for this series. And again, I was proud of the fact that it gave people an insight to to Vietnam that they probably didn't know anything about. And it, it opens up then a whole new world of experience, of, of these guys' experience, whereby I believe with us talking about it, maybe, and I hope this happens, is that younger diggers, if the more they hear about these things, the more they see that it's not about World War II, it's not about Vietnam. Our day's over. We're the old blokes, you know, and what we should be doing is, is really, in, within our community, going to our young diggers and saying, look, if you've got issues, we're here to help you. If, it, if you want to ring up someone at 2 o'clock in the morning, ring them up, you know, and talk. But don't get on the piss, don't go starting trouble. And, and I want people to understand that PTSD is an issue, whether you're a policeman, you're a ambo, a fiery... You know, everyone should take the time. It's not just confined to the military. And I think our politicians can do a bucket load more. I think soldiers themselves can do a bucket load more to, to help themselves in the sense of putting their hand up and saying, I've got a problem. If we've come home after being through a heavy experience, I feel we've got a job to do. There's something else for us to do. It's not just we're home, hey, look at us, we did this. Hey, get back in your community and, and see what you can help with. Should someone sort of put their hand up? I'm only too happy to sort of talk to them. I have a saying, I choose to be happy. Sometimes I get a bit too cheeky with it, but it's, I think a little bit of Aussie cheek is good value. Produced by Neil Ashworth, with funding from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Music by Clive Lane and Rowan Lane.